0: I don't know if you were listening to Sunday sequence this morning, but just as as an aside, it sort of knocked the heart out of me. Um, I don't know, I'm I'm rather dependent this evening, at least I'm using quite a lot of uh, PowerPoint pictures. But if you were listening to Sunday Sequence this morning, the whole thing was this guy was on and he was saying how there are those who are in school, teachers, who use PowerPoint all the time, and those who are in business and the bank and so on, and they're always getting presentations in PowerPoint, and the last thing they want to do is come to church and have more PowerPoint. So forgive me, I, 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 I'll take account of that, but not for this evening. What's your church like? How, how would you answer that question? There, there's no... By the way, I don't know if, if Roy Gamble was in jail, uh, but he can explain this to me sometime. He was, I see. Okay. Well, um, Dunlop hasn't gone to jail yet. That's, that's hopeful. But I, um, how would you answer that? You see, there is no simple, straightforward answer to that question. It's too vague. If you know the person who asked the question... Uh, and, and therefore, you were familiar with the context. You might be able to make a stab at an answer, but I'm suggesting to you that you would need a very comprehensive, detailed R or two to answer that question. Because they, they may be saying, you know, what are the worshippers like? Are, are they friendly? That would be one aspect of, of, of uh, in discovering what the church is. At. What's the praise like? Is it is it contemporary or is it traditional or a mixture? Is there a dress code? Uh, and, and again there are churches and that would give you some indication of the nature of the church what's the, the social mix like a very uh, academic outfit this would be part of my answer to that do they preach the gospel is there a charismatic tendency and you know they browse fur over that question how long do they preach for the parish priest asked me that not very long ago uh, how long would you preach for and when I told him well you know on average 25 minutes half an hour he said my people would leave uh, you know, long before that, there are a host of facets that you would have to cover in order to answer the question, What is Windsor Baptist Church like? Now, why do I mention that when we're on this subject of these tales of the unexpected? Because that's precisely the reason why Jesus gave various answers in Matthew 13 to the question, What is the kingdom of heaven like? And I'm going to read just one aspect of his answer this evening. Turn with me to the 13th chapter of Matthew, and I'm reading from the uh, the verse number 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Now, this is the topic I was given. This is the tale of the unexpected that I was asked to cover this evening. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish into baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied, and he said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has instructed, been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasure as well as old. What's the kingdom of heaven like? And you have covered several of, of the answers that, that come. I mean, it's like farmland is one of the answers Jesus gives with different qualities of soils. i am not going over any detail that has been dealt with. I've been here to several of them and found them extremely instructive. But uh, different soils, different soils to, to which the, the seed germinates and reacts in different ways. Or, or he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who, who uses only the best of seed. And he sows that seed and he maintains the hedges and he closes the gates and he ensures that the soil is is well uh, nutriated. All of that he deals with. But the enemy comes in and sows weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like that, says Jesus. It's it's like mustard seed, he said, in another place. Uh, And and we can see that today, the truth of that. One who was despised and rejected and had twelve obscure unknown followers and Today what they started has penetrated every continent and you have missionaries and others reporting back on the work of the gospel abroad, like mustard seed. He said it's like leaven. You see, there was no simple answer a variety of different aspects Jesus picks up it's, it's like it's like leaven or yeast there is internal change Jesus is referring to here just as the yeast works secretly and internally and, and, and the dough mixture is changed from within so men and women and children who embrace the gospel and trust Jesus the spirit of God comes to work within them and r- rots cha- brings changes within their, the, the inner man Marching to a different drum they are as a result of this. It's like hidden treasure, says Jesus. Some people just stumble upon the gospel. They weren't looking for it, but suddenly they, they find this, this treasure. And then he said, but it's, it's not always like this. Sometimes it's like an exquisite pearl. And, and they've been seeking for something that would give peace and, and joy and they, 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 they've tried religion and they've tried uh, you, you know, personal reform and they've tried to find joy and fulfilment and satisfaction and peace of mind in so many ways and then they discover this treasure this peace and this joy that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ but then as Jesus got to the end of this multi-faceted description of what the kingdom of heaven is like, he then says it's like a a dragnet. Now, I I listened carefully to Roy's announcement there, and he's absolutely right. Two of these reporting backs, and there have been three now, I I was at, and, and they really were exciting as young people were reporting back on what they've been doing over the summer months. The reason I wasn't there on Wednesday... It was I, I, I got the opportunity to go and hear Desi Maxwell on the, the. He was speaking about the land that Jesus lived in in the times of Jesus. And, and he mentioned this whole situation in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee that is so full of fishing, uh, little fishing ports. Uh, And where the the allusion that Jesus makes so often to fishing is so pertinent to the, the, the way in which the people were thinking. In this particular chapter, the word that Jesus uses here for the net only appears once in Scripture only once, now I'm not a scholar of the biblical languages like some are but the, the, the word that's translated here and I've checked this out is the Greek word and I'm not trying to impress you I just mention it because it's from this word that the, the idea of the same net S-E-I-N-E, it really is a derivation of that word, comes from that and it's this net which had little um, floats at the top Huge net, floats at the top and weights at the bottom, and they would spread it out and then drag it towards the shore. And as they dragged it towards the shore, it would catch a large number of fish. And only once it, it was used in Galilee. There were other forms of fishing, but the Sagene, the, the same net, was one of the means. And Jesus uses this particular picture of the drag net to illustrate aspects of the kingdom of heaven. Now, now this, this picture, it, it, there are interesting implications. And, and I mentioned them. In, in other words, this is not the time to be selective. This is, it's not our business, that's God's business. Our business is to cast the net. We're not free to be choosy. Some fishermen go after trout or salmon or or, or perch. I know very little about fishing, but uh, we have a friend in, in, in Ballinahinch, and I know Tommy would sit on the bank and he would study the fish and he would study the flies, and then he would make a fly that would be very similar to the flies that the fish are going for. And he would put that onto the hook and he would cast. And Tommy's very successful. But he's going after particular fish and he's watching exactly how they respond. And there may be situations where our evangelism uh, may be targeted very specifically. But here in this parable, there is a strong biblical argument for throwing out the net, catching all manner of fish, uh, and, and letting the ultimate results become evident in eternity. There is the need, and it's implied in the, in, the, in the whole culture of the fishing community, there is the need to keep our nets in good repair. To be sure that, 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 that we're using equipment for the gospel that is in good repair, that we need God's guidance on. We need to work in cooperation with other fishermen. This net couldn't be used by one individual. And indeed, when there was a large number of fish, you needed several at each end pulling in the same net, or the segene. We need to stop fussing over the, the, the particular design of floats and weights and our different casting techniques. We need to get on with fishing. This is all implicit in this. For the time is fast approaching when the time of fishing will be over. And, and you know, I, I, I find that within my own context, sometimes... I lose sight of that. The urgency of reaching people with the gospel. The time for fishing will be over. And then Jesus in this short parable draws a very solemn conclusion. This is how it will be, he says, at the end of the age. Now see the picture. Throw the net. The floats, the weights, the drawing into the shore, the great quantity of fish that are caught in the nets. And Jesus says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. And this pertains to the practice of the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee when they pulled the fish caught in the dragnet onto the shore. Only then did the sorting begin. Do, Do we think that way? Only then did the sorting begin. They knew the fish that were suitable for the table and for the market and those were collected in baskets. The rest were discarded, thrown away. There's a pretty horrific dimension to this parable. And we're not free to pick and choose in our interpretation of Scripture. We've got to face this. I, I have to become a slave to the Scriptures and preach what's here, whether I find it comfortable or not. And the analogy places us, everyone in this church, in one of three possible positions. Out there in the sea, uninfluenced by the nets. Or else, caught in the net, but not really part of the true harvest. Or else in the net and part of the eternal harvest of God. We dare not leave this question unresolved. I ask you really, before God, examine yourself. There are only three possibilities, I suggest. And I know in the final analysis there will only be two. But the parable here indicates that there are three. In the end there will only be those who are saved and those who are lost. But that ultimate and irreversible position is for God to determine. In the meantime, I ask you to consider where I am. You see, if we look at scripture, we find this. There are the nations. There's the nation of Israel. And there's the true Israel of God. Find the three are there. There's the fish in the sea. There are the rejected fish that were in the net. And there's the fish that are suitable for market. There's the world. There's the visible church, and there's the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. These divisions are indicated. There are unbelievers. There are God-fearers. The Corneliuses of this world. Man who had not come to saving faith in Jesus, but God recognized his interest in the things of God. A man who was devout, who actually brings some respect from God in the way he's dealt with, hasn't yet come to saving faith. There are unbelievers, there are God-fearers, there are disciples of Jesus. And I ask you honestly, where are you tonight? Where are you with regard to... If you have thus far in your life, fail to respond positively to the message of the love of God in Jesus Christ, then in the terms of this parable, you're still out there in the open sea. You with me? You're not either in the net, which is the kingdom of God, that God has blessed, and you're not part of the truth. You just as yet the things of God are just of general interest that's a possibility and there are people out there tonight lovely people people that we ought to to share the gospel with but they're not even in the net they're right outside and then there, there, there are those, and by the way you can, you can become quite skillful at avoiding the net even when it's cast I can remember as a young boy being brought up in a Christian home and I had acquired honestly considerable skill at ducking out of the net Sat in church many at time, the gospel was being preached, but I somehow managed to duck and keep out of it. Even letting on that I had acquired salvation, that I was trusting Jesus. You can become hardened against any sense of loss or danger. And I plead with you and I do a reappraisal. This is too serious a matter. We, 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 I, we respect your right to, to consider this and decide against it and walk away but oh i beg you think seriously of the things of god and the claims of the lord jesus christ in your life and maybe you are in the net and you're you're part of the christian scene and you quite like it you've made some sort of a response to the message of god and his love in the lord jesus and to all intents and purposes everybody thinks that you really are a christian you're in there with other christians but deep down You're uncomfortable. You know that the the real ultimate deliverance of your life over to God has never taken place. You see the other fish outside the net and somehow you like the look of their freedom. It's very attractive. And you'd like to be one of them but you know too much and you're you're caught in this in-between situation. You're restless. You're unfulfilled. Maybe even a little disillusioned. Could it be that You're in the net, but you're not really part of the the true kingdom. It's it's possible. You're, You're not happy in the net, and yet you'll never be at peace out there again. You want to run with the hare and chase with the hounds. You're trying to have it both ways. And your unease is safer than being out there, I admit. But, oh, the devil could rock you in that sense of false security. And he whispers to you, it's okay. It's okay. I can honestly say, I speak this from experience because for a long time the devil whispered in my teenage years, you can play it both ways, Hatton. You can have it both ways. You can can have your little bit of religion, but don't take it too far. And there are passages of Scripture that scare the life out of me that justify the way I'm preaching this evening. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who do the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth, who wept over Jerusalem when he saw that they had missed their great opportunity, who broke his heart. He's the one who said, this is how it will be in the end of the age. This isn't some preacher endeavouring to generate some... Emotion in a service this evening. I promise you that. This is the word of God. This is how it will be in the end of the age. The inevitable day of separation will come. The artificial three-way division that is apparent in this parable will become irrevocably two-ways. And God forbid that any who are under the sound of my voice would find that Depart from me. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Don't misunderstand that. My wickedness, God knows all about. The only righteousness that I can claim is the righteousness that I receive through Christ. Apart from him, our wickedness persists. But in Christ, I move from the wicked to the righteous. Not for any good in me, but from what I found in Jesus. Even making every conceivable allowance for the graphic pictorial language of this parable, Jesus leaves no doubt that the consequences of getting this wrong are absolutely awful. We've got to learn not to trifle with God. We've got to learn to weep again over neighbours and friends and relatives who don't know Jesus. Because there is no plan B, there is no other way, there is no other name under heaven. Get this wrong and you lose everything. And then Jesus turns to the disciples, having said this and taught this. Have you understood all these things? And the disciples said yes. And Jesus then reminds them of their huge responsibility in all of this. You see, this parable has strong words for every one of us here this evening. Whether you're still outside the net, whether you're in the net and haven't yet come to true true saving faith in Jesus, or whether you're in the net and have. And I suspect that's true for most who are here this evening. But, but it doesn't leave this parable and this teaching as something that's irrelevant to us. Have you understood these things, said Jesus, to his disciples? And if you and I have truly committed our lives to Jesus this evening, then he holds me, he holds you, responsible for the treasure to which we've been entrusted. Like the owner of a house, he says, who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Have you ever thought of yourself in terms of the way Jesus speaks here? If we have come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are immensely rich, but we are not free to enjoy our riches among ourselves. We've got to bring the treasure out of the storeroom. We've got to bring this treasure out of the storeroom, Jesus says. You know, there are verses in Scripture just like that verse I quoted from Matthew 7 a moment ago, which which scare me to bits. One such verse I was reading recently from Isaiah 63:10, Speaking of the people of God, the children of God, they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. I remember in this church before, speaking of How quick we are to select the comforting verses of Scripture. And apply those. If God be for us, who can be against us? Wonderful. Love that sort of promise. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I don't want to take any of this away from Scripture. It's there. It's wonderful. But let's not take God for granted. God's blessing is conditional. Your salvation may not be under threat when you're careless if you've truly trusted Jesus, but oh, that fulfilment, that blessing, that joy in the Lord. Where are you this evening? Where are you this evening? Outside the net altogether? You've managed to duck it so far? In the net, but you know, I really have never truly committed my life to Jesus. Or a child of God repentant, trusting him, conscious of the fact that you regularly make a mess of it and you've got to go and say, Father, forgive me. And He helps you back onto your feet and you move on. And that's the nature of normal Christian living because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but we're learning not to trifle with God. I'll tell you if there's something in my later years that I'm discovering is I love my God I treasure what he's done for me in Christ, but I fear him. I don't want to trifle with him. The consequences of failing to acknowledge his lordship over my life is something that scares me. I'll not lose my salvation, but it's possible to lose all that power and sense of fellowship with God and our testimony, and the devil wants to rob you of that this evening if you're in Christ. Don't trifle with his claims. I close with this. You're his by creation. He made you. You're his by redemption. He bought you. You're his by conquest. He defeated sin and death and hell for you. And you're his by devotion. He loves you. Can we do any less than give him our all? And stop compromising. And really go all out for Jesus. I don't have an awful lot of time left in this world. Now I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I'm getting on. I would love what time I have to count for Jesus, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You're his by creation, he made you. You're his by redemption, he bought you. You're his by conquest. He fought hell and sin and wickedness to win you. And you're his by devotion, he loves you. Reinforce these truths, Lord. Take from our minds anything that has just been the casual views of Haddon Wilson. But spirit of the living God, take us on to deeper devotion for Jesus. Give us a passion for souls and a concern for those who love us. Those whose lives are contingent upon ours. Who if they're going to meet Jesus, they're going to meet him in us and through us. Send us out to live for him, we pray. If there are any here tonight who have so far ducked the net or are in the net and have failed to respond to the wonderful offer of salvation, bring them savingly to you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.